Bachelor, Bachelor, live from Rogers Arena, calling Canucks game. It is Brendan Bachelor, Bachelor, Bachelor. 801 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in Hour 3 of the program. Hour 3 is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech. Let's go to the phone lines now. We are joined by the play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. Brendan Batchelor joins us on the Halford & Bruff Show. Morning, Batch. How are you? I'm well. How are you guys? Uh, we're good, thanks. Spent a large part of the morning taking away some of the positives from last night's 2-0 win over the Chicago Blackhawks. Let's start with Andre Kuzmenko, because that was a nice thing to see, I think. Uh, you could hear it in the arena. A lot of people obviously openly rooting and pulling for the guy. He responded. Good, very good first period. Named one of the game's stars. Uh, what were your thoughts on Kuzmenko's performance last night? Yeah, I think not just last night, but maybe the last couple of games, he's started to look more confident with the puck on his stick again. And, you know, it, it takes you back to how dominant he was offensively last season, where he was always trying to do something in the offensive zone. And because of his tremendous skill level was able to create quite a lot and obviously score quite a lot last year. I, I don't know what it is, but it seems like that confidence is back. You know, I think back to the Leafs game on Saturday, he had that great shift in the third period where he drew a penalty and, and was involved, and then right from the start of the game yesterday against the Blackhawks, the the tremendous pass uh, for the Suter goal. He's he's involved in the second goal as well in terms of uh, you know being a part of the offense, and uh, you know seems to be trending in the right direction. But uh, the the one thing I'll always say about Kuzmenko is we know he is capable of this. Now he's got to prove he can do it on a consistent basis while being a reliable two way player as well, and. You know, once you show your head coach that, A, you are capable of this tremendous offensive skill level and talent that we've seen from Kuzmenko, but also that you're capable of buying into the quote-unquote staples that Rick Tockett talks about, then the expectation is that you do that on a night-in and night-out basis, and that's going to be the, the development that Kuzmenko has to go through here to show that he can be that kind of player, not just for one game or once in a while, but every single night for this group before he really gains the trust of the head coach. So an interesting stat from last night that among the forwards, Dakota Joshua played the most. And then after that was Pew Suter. And a lot of people will be like, what about the lotto line? Well, Pedersen played almost 17 minutes. JT Miller just over 14 minutes. And the same with Brock Besser. What did you think about how the lotto line played and based on what you're going to say, how much longer do you think they're going to be together? Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's the, the key part here. I, I didn't think they were great. I, I don't think they've been great the last few games. You know, Rick Tockett has, has kind of, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say called them out, but has mentioned that they need to be better at five on five. You know, they, they score the big power play goals uh, in the game against the Maple Leafs, but at, at five on five, they obviously... Uh, have, have kind of you know fallen off a cliff in terms of where their production was 
on the road trip and, and where it's gone since they've come home, which is kind of surprising to me because, you know, when you have the last change and you can try and get some of those matchups, you would think that they would have more opportunity to produce at home. So it, it does make you wonder whether it's only a matter of time before Tockett splits them up again, because look, he was willing to split up Hughes and Heronic in the game last night as well. Now, in terms of the minutes, Part of me wonders if it was just a situation where Tockett looks at the opponent and goes, it's the Blackhawks, we've got a lead, we're able to spread the minutes around. So I don't know if I'm going to read too much into the fact that they didn't play a lot yesterday because I think it's entirely possible that Tockett would have backed off their minutes even if they weren't on the same line. Um, but it is something worth watching over the next few days to see if those guys stay together or whether Tockett reverts back to something that resembles the way he had the lineup going before he put them together in New Jersey. Um, do we know if the Canucks are going to practice today? I don't yet. I believe they will, though. It would surprise me if they take the day off based on uh, the way that things have gone thus far this week. They also have Dyson Ice later in the week, so they usually don't practice uh, on, on the day they do that fundraiser. So uh, I'm expecting them to practice today, but I am still waiting to hear. Um, do you think it was natural that there was going to be a bit of a letdown after the emotions of Saturday night in the Toronto Maple Leafs game? I think so. I think also, you know, the quality of your opponent coming in and, you know, not trying to disrespect the Blackhawks here, but you know, they've been one of the worst teams in the league and they have a, an injury list. That's almost as long as their lineup. Like I, I would be willing to bet, and I didn't crunch the numbers on this, but I'd be willing to bet their injured list has more career NHL games played than their active roster did last night. Um, so, you know, with the way the Canucks have played lately, I think it was important for them to get out to a strong start. And once you do that, if you stick to your structure and you feel confident in the way that you play, you know, do you need to run up the score against them? Obviously, it would be nice, and you want to continue to build good habits and play well, but... Uh, the Canucks did what they needed to do to win the game yesterday, and, and Thatcher Damco picked up the shutout as a result. And, you know, it's, it's a long season. They're not going to have their best game every night, but the fact that even when they don't have their best game, they still find a way to at least be in the game or get results, I think, is very key. But at the same time, after the second period let down against the Maple Leafs, after the way they played last night, it wouldn't surprise me if if Tockett tries to light a fire under them here to make sure he gets more out of them in the final two games before the all-star break, because, um, you know, I think it's only human nature to look past the end of this week and getting a bit of time off. And for some of these guys, maybe getting to go to sunny destinations and relax for a bit for other guys, getting to go to Toronto in February. So, you know, it's, uh, that's sort of how I look at it, that, um, you know, it wasn't their best game, but they found a way to get the job done. And now we'll see what talk it does to try and focus them in to get some results in the final two games before the all-star break. Okay. I think we should make batch play the UFA game that we played earlier. Do uh, it. Batch. This is, this is, this was the exercise we went through. Okay. If you could only sign two Canucks UFAs, who would you retain? So the options are obviously Teddy Bluger, Dakota Joshua, Sam Lafferty, Tyler Myers, Nikita Zadorov, Ian Cole, and the backup goalie, Casey DeSmith. So I'll give you one definitive answer and one cop-out answer. The definitive answer is Teddy Bluger, um, just because I think the center ice position is so important going forward. And the Canucks, you know, for years were looking for a consistent third line center. 
and it appears like they've found it in Teddy Bluger with the way he's played. So um, if you could return Patterson pending his RFA status, Miller, Bluger, and Suter for next year, you feel very confident about the spine of your team, I guess we would call it. And then, you know what, if you have to let some of those wingers go, like Joshua in particular, obviously it would hurt to let him go, but you know, you can find other wingers to fill roles down your lineup. So that doesn't concern me as much. And then my cop-out answer is at least one of the three defensemen. Um, <laughs> okay. And I, I'm not, you know, really bothered by which one it is. You know, I think Tyler Myers has played very well this year. And if mm-hmm. you can get him back at a good number, it might make sense to keep him. Whether you can get him back at a good number or not is the question, though, because he's still a right-shot defenseman that – you know, might be able to get more than the Canucks might want to pay him on the open market. You know, I think Ian Cole has been very solid in, in more of a depth role of late for the Canucks, but he leads them in shorthanded ice time. He leads them in block shots. He leads them in penalty minutes. Like he brings a, a presence and an experience level um, that, that they haven't had in, in recent years. At the same time, he's getting older now. So you kind of have to assess whether you think he's going to drop off or not. And then, you know, Zadorov's had his ups and downs since joining the group, but he's a big physical guy that, you know, is willing to exert that physicality and stand up for his teammates. And that's something you like to see as well. So uh, the reason I say it's a cop-out answer is because I don't think they can afford to let all three of those guys walk. And I think the management did such a great job of, of remodeling the blue line and um, bringing in, you know, those three guys or, or, couple of those guys and, and Carson Soucy and Philip Heronik, you know, four defensemen being changed over from, you know, I guess what, 18 months ago or, or something like that. So um, you've done good work to kind of solidify your blue line and you'd have to do a whole bunch of work again. If you were, if, you know, if you decided to let all three of those guys walk in a world where you can only bring back two UFAs. What kind of conversations do you think will happen between management and the coaching staff ahead of the trade deadline. Um, Obviously, there's going to be a conversation about Kuzmenko and, you know, like, would you trust him in the playoffs? And if the answer is no, you probably have to trade him to free up cap space to make changes. But I imagine some of the other conversations would be like, hey, do you want to keep the lotto line together? Because that might determine whether or not you really go hard after another center or if you go after a specialty winger like, for example, Jake Gensel. Yeah, and, and those are absolutely the conversations that they will be having and, and probably have already begun having at this point. You know, I, I wonder if some of the the lineup tinkering that we've seen, particularly with the defensive pairings last night, is a byproduct of some of those conversations because Hughes and Heronic have been so good together um, for for most of this season, yet uh, talk it had a look at the very least at them on different pairings last night. And I know part of that was because of the Carson Soucy injury, but you know, whether you're going to play them together or apart, I think kind of dictates um, what your blue line might look like, you know, whether you'd like to add some more depth, um, you know, a depth puck mover might be something that, that they might want to target in the event that, you know, they, they have some more injuries on the blue line, but it is clear that the priority is a top six forward. And, you know, you're absolutely right in the sense that if you're going to play the lotto line together, the need is more a center iceman. If you're going to play them apart, then you probably want to go and get a winger in particular that can play with Patterson because you kept Miller and Besser together all year long. And that seems to have worked very well. So, 
Um, I'm sure those those conversations are underway, and it very well could dictate uh, what they end up doing. At the same time, the market may just have to dictate what they end up doing. Like if the cost for a, a centerman ends up being too high, then maybe you have to go and get the winger and, and management says to talk it, look, you figure out the best way to deploy this. We've got you another forward with it that we think could help you, but we weren't able to get the exact player type that you might have liked. So I think that's going to be fascinating to watch here between now and the deadline. And, and you wonder if, if a move like that is coming sooner rather than later based on Jim Rutherford's track record. But personally, I would prefer that they go and get a centerman and keep the lotto line together. But um, I, I can see why, you know, you, you might pull them apart, especially uh, based on the way they played in the last handful of games. If you think it's more important to have a one-two punch, although I think, you know, the, the Bluger line is giving you that second punch right now. So it's a fascinating conversation and I can see both sides of it for sure. Um, what's the latest on Carson Soucy? Out five to six weeks with an apparent hand injury. Rick Tockett wouldn't, uh, commit specifically to saying what the injury was, but he kind of alluded to the fact that, yeah, you know, that that's essentially what's been reported is correct. So, you know, we're looking at basically all of the month of February that he's going to be out and back just prior to the trade deadline, I would expect if that timeline that, uh, that talk it quoted us yesterday morning holds. So that's obviously got to be incredibly frustrating for, Susie that um, you know he he just came back from an injury not too long ago and has to go out again and and miss a bunch of time and he's been an important player for them at the same time it's nice that they have a guy that they trust in Noah Juleson that can come back into the lineup but this is kind of why I alluded to the fact that they might want to target some defensive depth if they have the cap space to do it because Mm -hmm. if you look back at the Canucks season the only stretch really where where they had some struggles was after Susie went out with his first injury, but before they acquired Zadorov, when they had Friedman and Juleson in the lineup on a nightly basis. And right now you're only one injury away from being in that situation again. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if they target a depth blue liner, if, if they're able to do it, just because you can never have too many defensemen that can play for you at the NHL level, as we've seen in past seasons in Vancouver. And, you know, knock on wood to this point, they've been relatively good at, at avoiding the injury bug with a few slight exceptions, you know, Bluger, Suter. Now Susie's gone out of the lineup twice, but their key, key players have played every game pretty well this year. So um, hopefully that continues, but I think you probably want to insulate yourself on the back end from uh, being in a situation where if you do have two or three injuries at the same time, suddenly you're not quite as uh, you know potent defensively as maybe we've seen from them for most of this year. Badge, you're more on the ball than me. How many games have the Canucks played with Hughes and Hironic not together? Uh, I don't have it off the top of my oh, head. Not on the ball. No, no, not quite that on the ball. Uh, <laughs> but it's it. I'm trying to think. Like it, at the start of the year, I want to say it was maybe five or 10 games before they put them together. And Mm -hmm. then for the most part, they've been together ever since save for last night and and for some situational stuff where they've changed the pairings in game. But, you know, I, I would say for at least the last 30 games, probably before last night, I was writing down Hughes and Heronic on my lineup card next to each other on a nightly basis. So you know, I, I'll be interested to see whether they revert to Hughes and Heronic as a pairing because, um, you know, 
I think last night was a good night to experiment because the Blackhawks are, are coming sure. into town and, and you feel confident in your ability to, to beat them. Um, but I did think they, they missed out on something or, or lost something in, in the performance by not having those guys you know, doing their, their great play at the top of the point where they're able to trade off and create shooting lanes for each other by switching sides. And I think that's a unique chemistry that, you know, we haven't really seen from a, a Canucks defensive pairing in the past. You know, for my money, they were the best defensive pairing in the league for a really good stretch right after they were put together. So, you know, as much as it might hurt your depth, especially having Susie out of the lineup to stack those two guys up on the same pairing, I do think that when the rubber meets the road, the best combination that gives you a best chance to win is with those two guys playing together. And so that's why it's important that they figure out some added depth because, you know, if you lose some of that depth, then you lose your ability to play them together to a certain extent as well. And I think that really hurts you overall in your team game. I think you add something to the lotto line too when you've got Hughes and Hronik together. What are, what are what are the kids calling it? The lotto max line when you have the yeah. lotto line with Hughes and Hronik together, all five of them at once. And I, and I wonder if that's something for Rick Taka to consider. Yeah, well, let's put it this way: regardless of what he does with the lines, I think in an important game, if he needs a goal late in the game, those are the five guys going over the boards. Uh, and then, you know, you potentially add another forward in there as a sixth guy if you're pulling the goalie. Like, so, so that's why I kind of wonder about, you know, his experimentation because now's a good time to experiment. You're sitting atop the league standings. You know, the trade deadline's coming up here in, you know, just over a month now. Um, and so now is when you need to learn about your group. You need to try and figure out what will work what won't and you know this is a, a nice luxury that talk it has to a certain extent that we haven't seen from the Canucks in recent years that you're not chasing every win and every possible point at this point in the season so why not take a look at some of these options try and figure out the way you want to go into the playoffs in terms of your deployment but make no mistake about it that is absolutely the best five-man unit that they can put on the ice in any given situation and whether he keeps them together regularly, it's still something that he can go to in a, a key situation if he needs it. Much like we've seen coaches with the Oilers play McDavid and Dreisaitl apart, but when you need the goal, you put them together and they're usually able to create it. That's how, how I would kind of look at the, the lotto line or lotto max or whatever we're going to call it with Hughes and, and Heronic on the back end. Hey, one from me, Batch, before we let you go. The penalty kill. Uh, perfect last night against Chicago. It's now 15 straight kills. Don't look now, everybody, but the Canucks are now up to 15th in the NHL. Uh, they're above 80% on the kill. I believe it's the first time since. Above 80? Yeah. Oh, my God. First time Remember since. Remember when we were talking about them hitting 60, 60 yeah. yeah. Never mind. <laughs> They've gone from being C students to B-plus students. This is incredible. Um, and you had a cop-out answer earlier, so I won't let you have the Thatcher Demko answer here. What's been the biggest difference on the penalty kill? Again, you're not allowed to say Thatcher Demko. Uh, willingness to sacrifice. And, and uh, you know, this is kind of a, a talkatism, but being connected. So, um, you know, at times last year, I think we, we sort of criticized the, the group of, of players that were killing penalties for, you know, maybe not being as willing to, to block shots or getting shooting lanes or do the, the difficult things you have to do to be able to kill penalties. Well, they've got lots of guys that are willing to sacrifice this year. You know, as I said, Ian Cole uh, leads the team in shorthanded ice time, leads the team in block shots. We know what Noah Juleson is, is willing and capable of doing on the penalty kill as well. 
And that's really what it comes down to on top of the fact that, you know, we talk about structure so much in terms of their five on five play, but I think they're playing much more structured and much more connected, even when they're killing penalties too. And then, you know, as you allude to it, it doesn't hurt that they've got one of the best goaltenders in the league behind them as well. But you know, they still had him last year and their penalty kill was still dreadful. So it's it's not like Demko has suddenly turned it on and that's what's allowed the penalty kill to be good. It's their willingness to execute and sacrifice in front of him uh, that has allowed them to have success. And then I think it's just confidence as well. Once you get a few kills in a row, you start believing that you can and that sort of informs the the way that you kill penalties going forward. And it's, it's something they've been on a good roll now. The, the stat I had going into the game last night, so I would still imagine that it's true, is that they have the second-best penalty kill in the league since December 19th. And that's what's allowed them to become really a, a middle-of-the-road penalty kill in terms of their overall numbers. And that's been important over a stretch where their power play has gone quiet, that their penalty kill has made a difference for them in terms of special teams and allowed them to continue winning games. Batch, you're the best, bud. Thanks for doing this. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week. Have a good call on Thursday. Wednesday. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks. Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Quinn Hughes was a little confused about the next game, too. He was like, after the after during his TV interview after mm-hmm. the game, he's like, and then we're just on to the next game, Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah, it was one <laughs> of Imagine those. nobody tells him he doesn't show up. It's one of those two, it's oh, one of those I two like days. I feel I had something to do tonight. <laughs> it's funny, you know, speaking of the post-game interviews, they asked Thatcher Demko if he was looking forward to like getting another break, the All-Star break, and obviously he won't get one because he's going to the All-Star game, but he just kind of sloughed it off. He's like, no, he's like, we just had our Christmas break. He wants to keep playing. He wants to get more shutouts. He's feeling healthy, and he hasn't been the last couple of years. So I think he feels like he yeah, wants he to keep to, it rolling. Well, and they've given DeSmith a lot of games where they've given Demko extended rest. And it's paying off because Demko's just racking up the shutouts. We'll do some shutout talk later. I know we've got a what we learn for that. Speaking of what we learns, A-Dog is going to whet our appetites, so to speak. You're going to get the prime gig now. You're leading off what we learns. We're going to go to break, and then we're going to do ours in the humanoids. Are you ready for this uh, very big opportunity? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm disappointed because you're not doing the what we learned I thought you were going to do. Well, hopefully somebody else does because it's interesting. I can't do them both. Okay, just do one then. Yeah, but they're both so good. Okay, okay. hurry up. Do both. Let's go. We got to go to break. Just do it fast. Oh, my God. <laughs> now we do. We got to go to break. <sighs> okay. Um, well, I'll do the main one. Uh, the main one is, which is which is exciting for me, I love movies, of course, as you guys know, uh, the Oscar nominations for this year were just dropped. Uh, Oppenheimer leading the way with 13 nominations. Very excited to see, and expectedly so, Robert Downey Jr. gets the nod for uh, Best Supporting Actor, so hopefully he takes it home. That'd be awesome to see. Killian uh, uh, Murphy as well, uh, Best Actor. Uh, Emily Blunt, Best Actress, Best Picture, Best Director, of course, Christopher Nolan. So, yeah, I mean, Oppenheimer's killing it uh, this year at the Oscars. Uh, pretty uh, Poor Things, which is the... Uh, Sort of Frankenstein-y kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen that. Uh, I don't know anything about the movie, really, so I'm not sure about that one. But it's got a ton of, ton of noms as well. But I, I'm going to pay. I don't usually pay a ton of attention to the Oscars, to be honest, after Saving Private Ryan lost all those years ago to <laughs> Rome. <laughs> Shakespeare still carry, grudge, and still carry yeah. the grudge 20 years later almost. Uh, so, like, I mean, I don't really pay a ton of attention to uh, award ceremonies. I find them to be a, bit, a, a little bit boring, truthfully. But this year, more so than others. 
just because I'm so much rooting for Oppenheimer, I'd really like to see it. Okay, it. so here are the ten nominees. Ten nominees. I mean, that's I, too I many. It's way too many. Old ten, school. Ten, three. Yeah, you get like. Especially you watch ten movies in a year. I know it's way too much. They should so, be like five at most. So American Fiction, which I haven't seen, but I really do want to see. That looks hilarious. Uh, Anatomy of a Fall. I did see that. That was a very good movie. I don't see best picture potential at all. I still haven't seen Barbie. I Barbie either. made the cut. Um, Barbie the, the whole Barbie movie. The holdovers. I uh, want to see that. that I've to, seen yeah. that. That's a very, very funny movie. Kind yeah. of a, I guess a dead poet society mm-hmm. feel to it. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon. I finally got through that because that's now streaming for free on Apple, Apple Plus. Yeah, three and a half hours. Yeah, I think I read the book week. quicker than I than I actually got through the movie. Yeah, um, Maestro, which is on Netflix now. I haven't seen that, but I want. It's about to. the guy from that Seinfeld episode. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Oppen- the maestro, the who? Oppenheimer, um, which I saw and very much enjoyed. Um, Past Lives, what's that about? Never heard of that. Past Lives. Okay. Helpful, you're, you're never helpful in this. Poor Things and The Zone of Interest. Like, okay, no, I'm not, you say no, I'm not Not enough sports docs. <laughs> we'll go to break with this. Here's a factoid. No film by Christopher Nolan has ever won Best Picture. I know. That's why I'm rooting for him this year. I'd love to see it. Uh, lots more to get to. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Halford and Breff Show on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. 833... On a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. It is what we learn time. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at Campbell-Pound.com today. According to sources, check my earpiece, the sources are us, uh, we're going to forego the rest of our What We Learns. We're going to go straight to the humanoids. So fire up the dot matrix. What We Learn Humanoid Edition is brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most with comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mitigation at $200 off. Visit them at getfireplan.com. Oh, my God. We're having a fire plan. Uh, there was a what we learned talking about a coaching uh, hire. So one of the jobs that was out there has now been filled. The Tennessee Titans are going to fill the job formerly held by Mike Vrabel with Brian Callahan, best known as the namesake of Andy's old band. That's true. Yeah. Well, I thought he worked for Callahan Auto. He also did that. That's, very, the, that's the actual namesake. He's a very versatile individual. Callahan was previously the offensive coordinator of the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, a lot of people saying that he got this job due to his work with Joe Burrow. They had a lot of offensive success. Mm-hmm. He kind of cemented it after Burrow got hurt and managed to coach up former University of Washington Huskies quarterback Jake Browning, who had a, fa- a few very good performances down the stretch. Not Brown. Browning. Mm-hmm. 
Browning. Um, they actually had a pretty good season in Cincinnati, despite the injury to Burrow. They finished nine and eight. So Callahan goes to Tennessee. That means we're now down to five jobs left in the National Football okay, League. So let me see if I can uh, predict. I think the Chargers are going to hire Harbaugh. That's correct. They have a second interview now done. That's a done deal, I think. So really, mm-hmm. there's four jobs left. So the Seahawks will probably go with Dan Quinn, whether we like it or not. Uh, yeah, I'm holding out hope for Vrabel, but it doesn't sound like it. Um, okay, who am I missing now? Who's left? The Washington Commanders, better known as the Manders. Oh, that one's yeah. still pretty wide open. I still think Belichick makes sense for the Commanders. Yeah, because apparently changed the culture there. Things between Belichick and the Atlanta Falcons have reportedly "quote unquote" cooled oh, in recent okay. days, despite him interviewing for the job twice. So, not really sure what's going on. And there. then you've got Carolina, who is like might be. Sounds like they're getting close because their ducks are in a row now because they hired a new general manager. It's, I see uh, Dan Morgan, and you'll mm-hmm. remember him because. He wasn't playing. He was playing linebacker not too long ago for the Carolina Panthers. He was the 11th overall pick in 2001. Spent over a decade, seven seasons there as their line starting linebacker. And now he's their general manager. Have we have we broached the possibility of a Harbaugh winning a national title and a Harbaugh winning a Super Bowl in the same year? That would be now, incredible. I mean, it would be remarkable. What a family! I thought there were more Harbaugh's, but there's not. There's just the two of them. They really maxed out. You thought there was like one loser Harbaugh? Is there a Cooper Harbaugh somewhere here? Used car salesman or something? Yeah, yeah, what's he do? He's cutting the lawn right now. Yeah. Uh, Let's do some more what we learned. Uh, I want to read two because they're on the same subject. Colin and Tawas and what we learned on the weekend, an amateur Nick Dunlap won on the PGA Tour for the first time since Phil Mickelson in 1991, and Sasha in darkest North Vancouver. It does get dark in North Van. That what Valley? we learned. It's Lynn Valley, right? I learned that it's possible to win a golf tournament but still not get paid. Nick Dunlap beat everyone at the American Express tournament last Sunday, but because he's still an amateur, won't get the prize money. Yeah, so second place got the first place prize money. It was like a million and a half bucks. Tell me more about this Dunlap. Oh, he's... He's sounds like he's going to be a heck of a player. He also won the U.S. Amateur and the U.S. Junior Amateur, becoming the second player to do that after Tiger Woods did it. So this guy, I think he's a sophomore, and I want to say he goes to the University of Alabama. Um, People are like, man, he should have just turned pro and taken that money, but I think he's going to be, uh, you know, if his career keeps going on the trajectory that it does he's going to uh he's going to make a lot of money and when he turns pro will be a big discussion because with that win he didn't get like the money or he didn't get the FedEx Cup points but he did get exemption on the PGA Tour because winners get like a two or three year exemption on the PGA Tour so any any tournament they want to enter they can enter um yeah apparently he was like an unreal athlete Growing up as a kid, not just like a golf phenom. Well, he we was need it to stop. We he was need to stop thinking that like golf is like it's for the no, kids no, no, that no, aren't athletes. Wrong. Don't get me they're, wrong. Like I'm not athletes. trying to say that it's you not. Hammer the ball now. This was just a way of me uh, shoehorning in the fact that he was also in the finals of the NFL's punt, pass, and kick competition. When oh, he was really? 12. Yeah. But what was it? If he was a punter, it doesn't really. Get- <laughs> Maybe he was a good passer. I don't know. I don't know what his strength was. Uh, here's one from Scott. We, this was actually going to be Andy's, but we deferred it to Scott. Hashtag WWO, what we learned. Starting in 2025, WWE's Raw will be on Netflix, hmm. which immediately changes the meaning of Netflix and chill. Yeah, there'll be less chill. 
when you're there cheering on AJ Styles and the rest of the WWE enthusiasts. Uh, so this is sort of... It's not so much about the wrestling. I'm going to be dead Netflix honest. Netflix and pretend it's real. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, there's so many different ways we could go with that. I'm not going to. So this really isn't about the wrestling. This is about Netflix finally getting into the live, quote-unquote, sports. Is this is- their first gambit into... Yep. This is it. I believe it's, it's called a foray. Foray. A gambit, if you will. I like gambit better. Well, gambit, too, because there was the Queen's Gambit. That's right. On which Netflix. was also on Netflix. Yeah. Um, for the longest time, people said, when's Netflix going to get in on all the, like all these other streaming platforms mm-hmm. which are picking up uh, live sports content, like, like left and right? And again, not exactly sports. Sports entertainment, but it's simply a matter of time before Netflix joins the Amazon Primes and the Peacocks and everybody else yeah. who's doing this, right? Uh, the Bear with a, what we learned. I've learned that we have a new Sammy Sallow, and his name is Carson Susie. Yeah. The, we, Tough the, but fair. No the, one has gotten to the level of Sallow yet, but <laughs> Susie's well on his way. The Canucks have been remarkably remarkably healthy this season, except for Carson Susie, who's on to his second fairly long-term Injury. Um, I did think the Canucks missed him when he was gone, um, but that was partially alleviated when they picked up Nikita Zadorov in that trade. Yeah. Uh, Here's one from No Nickname Shane. That's your nickname now, Shane. No Nickname Shane. Hashtag WWO, what we learned. I learned that Bo Horvat is playing for his fifth head coach in 25 months. I went back and did the research. He's right. So it went greener. Talkit. I forgot that he played three games under Talkit before he got traded. Um, Lambert and then Patrick Waugh, right? Oh, Boudreaux. I forgot Boudreaux. God, mm-hmm. of course. That's a lot of coaches in 25 months. Right. By the way, I hear more. And that's like a, that's like a wide range of coaches, too. Oh, yeah. You ran the gamut there, right? You got everybody. This, uh, it's, I, I really did want to come in yesterday and work. I swear to God. Um, because I wanted to talk about the Patrick Waugh thing. It is such a fascinating dynamic. You can say what you want about Lou Lamorello as a general manager, but never underestimate his flair for the dramatic. For a guy that seems like he wants no drama in life whatsoever. <laughs> he wants the Johnny Unitas haircut all the time. Well, Patrick Waugh looked pretty clean shaven at his press yeah, conference. Yeah, but it's just hilarious because it came out of nowhere Lou always does this. He has these moves that come out of nowhere, and you know he does it because he just loves dropping these blue bombs on people. And then you talk about a team. Is there another team in the NHL that is so heavily reliant on star goaltending to go somewhere? Mm-hmm. Like that's. I mean, I was listening to Rupper on with Bourne and Kipper yesterday, and he's like, you know, Sorokin may have clouded the Islanders into thinking they're better than they are. Like he, he might've actually set them back in a way because he's kept them in the conversation of being like, well, they, you know, if they get in the playoffs and then who knows what happens, like realistically, they're not a good team, No, but they're, they might, you know, they might make the playoffs. I, they might. Yeah. I don't and, think they will though, but they might. And that's what this whole thing is predicated on. He's mm. like, well, we got Sorokin and now we've got the goalie who famously, like won 11 overtime games in the playoffs one year. You know what? I coaching st- the team. I still feel like the Islanders lost their identity when they went in that new arena. Yeah, they should have stayed. No, know, they these, shouldn't have stayed. Yeah, I they should have. Asbestos is no, good for you. They, oh. sh- they, 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 they should have left. I mean, their franchise value is a lot higher in that new arena, but there was something about playing in the Coliseum that 
gave them, you know, how their fourth line was. It was called the identity line with Matt Martin, Casey Sizikas, and Cal Clutterbuck, who are all still on the team and getting. will be there forever. Um, but I think just think there was something to that arena that gave them a blue-collar identity, and the fans were incredible in that arena. Yep. I remember that series they played against Pittsburgh, which seems like a long time ago now because it was before the pandemic, but that Islanders team, which was the one that had lost Tavares, right? Mm -hmm. And everyone was like, oh, they're done now. But they had that kind of like, oh, we'll show you. Is Lulam kind of trying to recreate that by bringing Patrick Wallen, like yep. this fiery head coach that's going to they're going to rally around him. It's, Is that the hope? Because it's us against the world. No one thinks we deserve to be here. Everyone thinks we're just a goalie <sighs> and a bunch of dudes. Patrick better I mean, work for them because like Dodd and I were talking about this yesterday. They haven't made a first round draft pick in a long time. Like 2019, I think was their first that last first round draft pick. Their team prospect rankings. I read a ranking that had them 31 out of 32. Yeah. So they've got all these contracts like committed to guys like Pierre Engvall, who I believe has been a healthy scratch a few times. And he's, he's, I mean, he's there <laughs> whether they like it or not. And this is the team. And if you look at this Islanders team, they've got some good players in Barzell, Horvat and Noah Dobson, but they're not the level of superstars. Like, if you want to compare that to, like, Petey and Quinn Hughes and JT Miller, there's no comparison. Uh, I also wanted to read that last text so that we could play this. We don't like analytics when th when you're in the bottom of the league, and we like it when we're in the top of the league. And so that's pretty simple. Excuse me, what? Analytics. Excuse me, what? Analytics. I love that. You heard so the man. That's Patrick Waugh trying to pronounce analytics. It could have gone worse. Yeah, yeah. You know, worse. You know, <laughs> it could have like, gone worse. <laughs> Shall I try again? Oh, God, no. <laughs> so you're an analyst therapist, you say. Big red flag on that word. Uh, Oz and Squamish, what we learned last night's game could have and probably should have been better, but it's nice they could put it in cruise control and not get hurt. Yeah, the most important thing for the Canucks was the two points that they got, but I did, <laughs> I did feel sorry for the fans that paid and paid big for tickets early on in the season because they wanted to see Connor Bedard. Yeah. And what they saw was that was a that, that was a big time uh everyone got exercise and nobody got hurt game. You know those ones? You're like, yeah, how'd it go? Good. Good. Nobody got injured. Everyone had fun. Everyone got some exercise. I got what we learned courtesy of former intern Lachlan Irvin. Wow. Ir Ir Irvine, sorry. Um, I remember Lachlan. Yeah, Lachlan. You yeah. disrespect uh, him immediately by did, pronouncing his name wrong. He didn't no, text us in. Good old Lachlan. Yeah. <laughs> Lachlan. Is it about the analytics? He didn't text us in. Yeah, he tweeted it last night, but I just want to point it out. Okay. The Canucks are 9-1-0 in the black skate this season. So clearly... They like the. They're jersey. also like eleven or no with Josh Elliott Wolf that's, in the building. So that's right. I don't know. So we got to combine. Gotta these. What's their record record with the black skate? Jersey? Nine one zero. Nine. So they have lost once. They're not perfect. Well, that's what aren't you take the Sabers really good in their goat heads? <laughs> when are we? When are the? They I mean, look at their record at Rogers Arena. They're sixteen four and one. When are they doing the Chrome buckets? I don't know. Like I just I you know they promised them last week and then they signed. Can Jim I just Rutherford say to an extension? The matte helmets don't do it for the me. The matte black ones. They I like look them. cheap. 
They I look like, like they're going to take them. every scratch and just, oh, I, like I don't them. like them I like, at all. Like they're I hate not cars, it. you know? <laughs> I hate it. They do look like the starter pack of goalie gear you get from Canadian yes. Tire. Like, I get that part of it, but I actually kind of like them. I don't mind them. But, but all the, the MLB teams story are doing is they got to make the black skate the main, and they'll only lose one game a season. We're not doing this. Or one game every 10. Uh, Gary, Gary Garrison. I should have mentioned this earlier when we were talking about the own goal that the Penguins scored. Uh, hashtag WWL, what we learned after that laugh were by Latang and Malkin. The Coyotes became the first team in NHL history to score a power play goal without recording a power play shot in a game. Saw that. That's that. That's going to be a, a power play. The, they the, had a, the Coyotes weren't on the power play though, were they? Uh, they became the first team to score a power play goal without recording a power play shot. It must have been a, so a power play a with a delayed play. penalty. Yeah, with a delayed penalty. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. all right. Which is actually kind of crazy. I mean, I get. Don't get me wrong. You don't see things like that. Every day, but you thought it would have happened at least once. Malkin, Malkin did. Well, not I think the key well is that, that they would be ha- they would have other Malkin power plays in the game that in. and get yeah, dragged in. Yeah, it was like one handed in front of his someone. Own someone on Twitter was like, "What was Latang doing?" And I was like, "What, you, what was Malkin doing?" He passed it yeah. to the corner. Yeah, I don't, I do, you, get, do you think Sullivan was like, "Okay, Gino, two hands on the stick, buddy. This is Please, hockey one on one." I do have a what we learned by the way. I forgot I, I had one oh, okay, away in the, in the mind grapes. Uh, Ladner BC's James Paxton. He's back on. This offseason, the Los Angeles Dodgers. <laughs> really? He's going to the Dodgers for six hundred million dollars. Yeah. It's a one-year deal. Yeah, <laughs> it is a one-year deal. I think it's eleven million with uh, three million of uh, bonuses possible. Well, he was going to win the World Series this year and the following ten years. He was good for Boston last year. Remember, we had him on yeah. the show. Yeah. And he resurgence. We were, we were talking about whether or not he was going to get dealt at the deadline, and he wasn't sure either. But and our, could, our very own Chad Day broke the signing. Oh, good for him! All right, um, um, Jeff on the one. island. What we learned. This is a hot take. What we learned. Okay. Hate to say it, but Dakota Joshua might be one of our best trade assets. Oh, the league is on notice. Might cost too much next year. Hate to break up the line, but we got to keep the up and coming guys. Yeah, they're not it. trading you Dakota can't do Joshua. It. You can't do it. I get you. I get the spirit of the text, but come on, you can't do it. We got to change our mindset. About this team. Yeah. You got to be all in. All these pending UFAs, is, unless there's a replacement for what they're bringing, unless you're bringing in someone to replace what Dakota Joshua does for that team, they're not trading him. He's a very important player on this team. It's not just what he brings at five on five. I think he's their best penalty killing forward. Yeah. You know, JT Miller, um, I don't want to sit here and say like JT Miller was the, was the reason that their penalty kill wasn't very good, but... It is kind of curious that he gets less ice time, other guys get more, and the penalty kill is improved. I also think that's better for JT Miller, the player, mm-hmm. where, you know, when the Canucks take a penalty, he gets a bit of a breather because he plays a big role. He plays an important role. As the center on a shutdown line, you got to skate a lot, and it's exhausting. And I don't think it's ideal having JT Miller playing 22 minutes a night. Plus all the special teams. Not plus, but including all the special teams. Another unsigned what we learned, so it must be from Gary. Hashtag WWL what we learned. The NHL head office saw the rest of the Blackhawks roster last night and said, nah, we don't need a rep from one of these big U.S. markets. And instead, pick Bedard's replacement from one of these smaller market teams. Yeah, so Bedard and Eichel are out of the All-Star game. Uh, Kyle Connor and everyone, the guy everyone, everyone was longing to see, Vincent Trocek is going to the All-Star game. So let me get this straight. You make it mandatory that every team gets a representative at the All-Star game. But then when that representative gets hurt, you don't need to have 
a representative at the All-Star Well, they're probably game. looking at Blackhawks roster and just like, no. Jason Dickinson, <laughs> should, he should have just gone. Just yeah. why not at this point? You're you sending wanna, one. You want to make a mockery and, 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 of it. And he should have been like, I'm in the skills competition, too. That's the only way I'm going. Because right. you know how it's a limited field in the skills competition yeah. this year. You got to get J- Jason Dickinson in all of it. It's like, okay, I want I, a shot I, in a million. Uh, when is the face-off competition? I, I, <laughs> <laughs> the dump and chase challenge. And they have the defenseman glassing out. <laughs> training my whole life for this. Yeah. Okay, I, I like this. They, they switch to the skate jersey full-time for the playoffs and change the goal song to Back in Black. Courtesy of Dexter. I'm not going to stop. Just, Why do you just, care so much? Just deal with it. Why do you care so much? Because it's their best jersey. I did By have far. I By had, far. You know how you everyone's got those non-sports... I do like the stick and rake. I'm not going to say I don't like that one. Everyone's got those non-sports people in their lives, right? Where they just kind of take a cursory glance at whatever mm-hmm. you're paying attention to. You're, like, you're still doing the sports thing? I'm like, yeah, professionally. <laughs> it is my job. <laughs> um, so someone asked me the other day, they're like... They seem to be wearing this old jersey a lot now. Are they trying to bring it back and make it a thing? And I was like, I tried. Then I had to go down the road of like, well, you know, it's they often trot these jerseys out, increase sales, yada yada. And they're like, oh, they should bring it back. It's their best jersey. It so, is. So this is from a, a an unbiased, doesn't care. Even without the design, I could understand how some people might not like the design. But even with the design aside, the color scheme is the best. The problem is the white it's jersey. Their most intimidating. The color white jersey scheme. is not intimidating at all, and that's the problem. Is the flip side is. Not good. Am I the only one nice. that I likes like the, the blue and green because it represents the geography of our... What are you, Drance? <laughs> City looks at night. Don't you ever <laughs> say that again. He is so offended right now. <laughs> well, it's the Drance thing. It's, it's like, it's, it's like this is how the thing. city looks at night. <laughs> no, but that was ridiculous. I mean, yeah. like... Okay, I, I do... I, so I like, the city looks... Black, I, I don't blue, and green. I don't I dislike. That's... I don't dislike their current jersey. Like I don't have anything against the Orca. I think the color scheme is fine. Yeah, it's not a bad jersey. There's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. I just prefer you greatly just like... prefer, especially the color scheme of the black skate. It just looks so imposing. Okay, Luongo. compared to what we currently have. <laughs> Yanni uh, from oh. South Surrey. What we learned: Edmonton and Vancouver will be the two Pacific home seeds versus, or sorry, home seeds as Vegas and L.A are falling fast. Um, L.A. lost to San Jose last night. So they and, did uh, lose to San Jose. Yeah, they? the shootout. They actually rallied to tie, and then they lost in the shootout, and uh, Todd McClellan called out Pierre-Luc Dubois after the game. Oh, what did he say? He said... Uh, this guy stinks. Yeah. He's like, how long have we <laughs> seen this guy for? <laughs> Ay, caramba. Uh, no, did he ask for another trade again, please? Yeah, he said, uh, we've, been, we've, we've been waiting too long. Enough's enough. It's got to happen now. And 16 that- minutes of ice time for Dubois. No points three shots on goal but a minus two okay uh i do need to tell everybody about the big football party it's coming up uh, it's a couple weeks time sunday february 11th we know it's down to the final four teams if you want to reserve your spot for the big football party at the clayton public house hosted by sportsnet 650 visit the claytonpub.com clayton public house good food good people good times thank you all for texting in your What We Learns. We appreciate all of your submissions. We appreciate all of our listeners. Uh, We will be back tomorrow to do this all again. But for now, we got to say goodbye. Signing off, I have been Mike Halford. He has been Jason Bruff. He's been A-Dog, and he's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.